it's really hard to build components and then share them across products. But I think it's also like another way of thinking about development. You know, your nav bar should work perfectly regardless of what other stuff it's being used with, right? Like it should be completely solely dependent. Like that's the whole idea of components. Like I build a button, it doesn't matter what happens externally to it, that button works by itself. It has all the dependencies it needs to work. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, I've got Alexander Karam. Hey, how are you, Dev? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well myself. Yeah, so I'm curious, why are you here and like what sort of brings you to Jamstack Radio? Uh, so um, I'm here to talk about Bit, which has kind of revolutionized the way we develop the front end at Climate Clever, which is the startup that I'm part of. And I just really want to spread the love and appreciation for Bit and get more people using it. Yeah, and I've seen Bit. I toured around with it, and like I think I even like used a, I guess, a Bit component. I'm not sure if you call them bits. Yeah, but I, I've used it in one project that's like a test. Uh, I didn't move forward with that project, but it was more of like I needed to ship something fast and needed to like pull something off the shelf. But I, I was not familiar with Climate Clever and its association with the product. So I'm curious, could you explain what that is and your sort of influence there and in that that sort of startup? Yeah, so uh, Climate Clever is a startup in Australia, and uh, we help schools and communities uh, reduce their carbon footprint, save money on the utility bills. We're all about like helping drive a low carbon future, and we do that through our apps. So we have like a school app, home app, and we partner with local governments and stuff like that. And I'm the co-founder and CTO, so I head up the development team. I've been working with Climate Clever for a few years, but I came on full time last year. And we needed to rebuild the product. And we had like more than one app to build. And I was looking for a way to speed up development. And I somehow found Bit. And yeah, the sort of we started using it, you know, got stuck in errors, issues, problems. But eventually we came out on the other end with this better system thanks to Bit. Yeah, so I'm curious. I assume the way you explain it, you're not the creator of Bit. You just happen to stumble across the project, then. Yeah, yeah. So like, a, but a real advocate for it. So like, a few of my coworkers have wrote blogs on it, done tutorials on it, because it really is at the core of our, you know, our product, the Climate Clever, in in terms of front end. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty sure the listeners at this point they've they've are curious what Bit is and uh, yeah, what what we're actually talking about. So do you want to explain uh, what Bit is? So on the surface level, I think I like the way you described it. It's like a marketplace for components, right? So, you know, like uh, you're building a project and you're like, I don't really want to rebuild authentication. So you go to GitHub yep. and you find a library that does authentication, install it, Bob's your uncle. Well, Bit's kind of like, well, what if I just want a spinner or a button? You know, I don't want to have to install the entire, uh, let's say, you know, UI library of Google just for that one button. Well, I can go to Bit, find that button, and just install the button. So that's like the surface level. It's like a sort of open marketplace. Yeah, which is like super fascinating. I'm curious, like, is there anybody else doing this? Because I know about 
Like there are a lot of design systems and libraries, and like Google has a big one, the Material UI, yep. where you sort of you're all in at that at that point, where you just like Bootstrap's another one where you're also all in. Yeah, like I need some quick and dirty UI components, CSS, all of it, kit and caboodle, and I want to ship a product really fast. So I'm gonna opt into this thing, and like now I ha- I'm stuck to doing updates for like the rest of this project, or until we like want to take a couple sprints to. Uh, Fix this. So, like, what you're saying is that if I just want the one button, yeah, or the one loading spinner, or the one animation thing, or whatever it is, I can just pull that one thing in. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. Like, a real good example is like Bootstrap. That's a perfect example. So, we were using uh, React Bootstrap when we first did the oh, wow. our first version. Yeah, yeah, that was probably painful. It was painful, right? And then we we're like, we need to get rid of it, but we could have just delete it. So uh, React Bootstrap was on Bit. So we went and we uninstalled React Bootstrap and just installed the components we were using. And then we just slowly removed them one by one, thanks to Bit, because it was like, oh, we don't need that one anymore, just get rid of it. And so our, you know, our whole entire package and bundle became smaller, quicker to load. Yeah, it was much easier to manage the migration away from React Bootstrap. That's wild. So it's almost as if like if we took NPM but only for UI components? Is that a good summary? Yeah, so it works with React, Vue, Angular, but then you can also like put like JavaScript functions in there as well and stuff like that. It doesn't just have to be UI components, but it's predominantly UI components. Okay, and like to better understand this too as well, because you would use the example of authentication. So this is not just UI components like the design side of things? Is this also JavaScript that powers these things as well? Yeah, so some people put logic in there and stuff, but I think that's like that's more getting into like the internal version of Bit that people use inside their companies. Uh, but like the external marketplace that's available for everyone is mostly UI components, like just but they do come with logic too, you know, like you get different loading states and other bits and pieces like that. Yeah, bits and pieces. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Not well, that, sure if that was intentional. <laughs> well, that's literally the name of their blog as well. They have a blog called Bits and Pieces. It's just oh, really? Yeah. Wow, this is fascinating. So I'm curious of like who's running this? Who's paying for the hosting and for all this uh, free components uh, for the world? Well, it's actually open source, so you can like just get Bit, set it up on your own server. And you know it's it's all good to go, no problems. But they do have like a cloud service you can pay for, you know, where they will host your components for you and stuff like that. Now it's free if you're open sourcing your components. Like if your components are get out to the world, it's free of charge. But it's like when you want to do private collections, so they call it collection, then you have to pay. Wow. So you bring up collections, and then my mind goes to like code pens. Yeah, because code pens like something that I. As far as front end stuff, like that's a place for me to sandbox and like work through ideas without doing it in public or doing it in front of like blocking people like on my branch or anything like that. Yeah. So not only do you have like open source components that you can pull into your project, but also there are these sort of quote unquote collections or yeah. I assume there's collections of bits and pieces together. So if I wanted to build a portion of a UI, I put all these bits together. Yeah. And then, as you mentioned, you had a bunch of different projects. So, are you using bits, reusing bits throughout these projects? Yeah. Like, we've got like four web apps and four mobile apps. Okay. So, like, that's massive. And, you know, the basic principle of programming do not repeat yourself. And I'm sat there going, man, we are just like rebuilding the same components over and over again. 
and maybe the colors are just slightly different, you know? And so, yeah, we, uh, we, st- we found Bit and we just started putting all our UI components into Bit and just sharing them across all our apps. Because like, it's, it's really hard to build components and then share them across products. Like, what do you do? Like, set up loads of NPM packages yourself? Yep, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> Bit does all of that for you. It's all managed for you and you can use your own package manager, whether it be NPM or Yarn. It's totally up to you. Wow, that's wild. So, Climber Clever, did you have like an organization on Bit, and then everybody just sort of pushes there as a, uh, alongside of their UI development, feature development? Yeah. So, like, um, let's say we're working on a button, we'll develop the button in Storybook. So, Storybook goes really hand in hand with Bit, like they're just perfect together. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll develop it in Storybook, and then when we're happy with it, like we'll push it to Bit, like just simple CLI command. You know, two seconds is done. Then it's in bit, right? For everyone to see, and it's versioned as well. So, like every component's got a version number. So, like maybe app two is using version three of the button, but app four is using, you know, version five because it needs the latest features. And every time you make changes, it automatically versions the component for you too. Wow, that's intriguing. But also, is that not confusing though? If you, because I like if I'm using React Bootstrap like version six or whatever is out there right now, yeah. Like I, my expectation is that everything that I'm using will be version six. So, like, do I have the button version six, but then I have the nav bar version four, and is that going to cause issues? <laughs> I, th- I think when you when you're using the like overall marketplace, you normally just stick all versions, but. But I think it's also like another way of thinking about development. Like, you know, your nav bar should work perfectly regardless of what other stuff it's being used with, right? Like it should be completely solely dependent. Like that's the whole idea of components. Like I build a button. It doesn't matter what happens externally to it. That button works by itself. It has all the dependencies it needs to work. Wow. That's fascinating. And it's also fascinating because like I've built a couple projects in my days. Yeah. And I'm at the point in my development career where I just don't even care. Like I know that my button is going to be five pixels right if it's my side project. Yeah. I'm just going to create the same button over and over again. Cause why? Why change what's broken? Yeah. And uh it's like almost as an artist, like this is my the amount of pixels that I put on my button for a radius is like my artwork. So I'm just going to continue to do it until someone tells me this is out of date. Yep. So like knowing that and knowing that I don't have to actually remember if it's 5 or 6 pixels and just pull it from bit. Actually it's it's really intriguing. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I if I went down the rabbit hole that deep when I was doing the exploration and the bit like roughly like 6 to 8 months ago. Yeah. Um but now I'm intrigued if I can start cuz I use Storybook for my projects as well. Yeah. Cuz I want the consistency. I want everybody to walk into the project and be like, "Oh, this is exactly where it should be and how it works." But knowing that I can now take that same not have to copy and paste my storybook over and over and over again, yeah. but actually just pull in the bit and just recreate the storybook with hopefully a CLI command. Yeah, that's, that's that's all it is. Just one CLI command. And the real nice thing is like bit takes all your tests, all your documentation, and like builds it as well into this really nice library that you can just search through, find your components, see the documentation. Um, I mean, we use it for React, so you can see all the prop types, an example of the component. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, so I'm I'm curious of the platform. So, Bit itself is a paid product, but it's also free for open source people. So, like, there's no confusion around that. Yes. But how do I distinguish my components? So, if I upload it to Bit, and then I can leverage that in any sort of GitHub repo or whatever source control solution you're using, 
Yep. Do I then push that same repo or component up to GitHub, or, or do I just stick at the bit and then I'm sort of, I guess, I'm good from there? Well, yeah, you just stick it in bit. Bits becomes your like source of truth. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, basically, it's replacing the need to actually have a whole other folder for just components on GitHub, yes. which maybe will run out of date. Instead, if you're going to have version six, going back to version six of the button, the nap bar, bit is your source of truth. Bit is the source of truth. So your front end team is going to log in the. It's going to log into GitHub, maybe, but also you're definitely going to log into Bit. Bit is always there. Interesting. Well, it's it's more like pushing towards that sort of micro. You know how we have like microservices on the back end now, split yeah. up your business logic. Yep. It's kind of starting to approach that sort of microservices front end. You know. Yeah. So it's like when we want to build the school version of our app, like we go and we grab all the components we need and just orchestrate them together in a project, and then push that project out. And then the best thing about Bit is like you can sort of well, there's so many good things, but you can like (laughs) say you're like right, I need to upgrade this component. You just simply import it into whatever project you're working on, update the component, export it, and then that update is available for anybody or any project that wants it. So you can import it, update it, export it in any project you're working on. That's wild, yeah. And um, so I'm not part of this project, but I'm a, a consumer of this project. So I work. My day job is GitHub, uh, which most listeners know at this point. Yeah. Um, we've done this new UI updates, which is the enterprise uh, GitHub.com/enterprise, GitHub.com/teams. Yeah. A couple of pages that we're sort of iterating this new sort of design UI. Yeah. And it's it's been fascinating to see is like the next refresh of GitHub. Actually, there were some tweets of us refreshing the UI, so get ready for that. I'm excited. I love GitHub. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not gonna it's not gonna break the way you do GitHub, but it, it is gonna be a, a nice, hopefully appeasing experience when you actually get access to it. But I've been playing around with it for the past week, week and a half, and I love it. And I love that someone from the design systems team gives this sort of like Flip a switch and then everything sort of changes for you yeah. without you even touching. So, like the way you explain it, if someone, some of the design gods or whoever is making the design decisions, like me as a developer, I, I can tinker with the design, but I don't want to make the decisions. Yeah. So, if this person gets to say, like, hey, but today we're doing seven point pixels for radius, cool, whatever. I'll just update the, the version number and then magically everything updates. Is that sort of the way it works? So there's two ways. So let's say I update the radius, update the button. Then you've got two choices. The first choice is you go into every project that's using that button. You just you run a script to update your NPM packages. It installs a new version. It's all good. Or you can integrate bit more heavily into GitHub. So anytime you update a component, any project that's using that component automatically gets a pull request to merge the update in. So, you know, it just depends if you want to be fully automated or a little bit more manual. It's up to you. That makes sense. So, the, I assume there's some sort of integration on the GitHub end. Yeah, there is. That's that's really cool. And then the integration for Storybook, I'm I'm curious if there is one to keep your Storybook up to date with Bit itself. So, there isn't like a, a full-fledged integration for Storybook and Bit yet, but it's it's more like they're just really good companions to use side by side as development tools. Yeah. Cuz cuz I sort of um, you know, I've really sort of just sort of grab hold of that philosophy of like when I'm working on whatever component it is, whether it's just a button or it's like a form or a page, like it should just work by itself. So develop it in storybooks, you know, get it in bit and then we can just use it all over the place. Wow. So I have to ask, it sounds like Climate Clever is actually a paid user, is that correct? 
Yeah, so to use, to use our application, you have to pay. You know, we have varying pricing. It's, it's uh, different for homes and for schools. So homes, it's uh, cheaper because, you know, it's just an annual yearly subscription. But then for schools, it's a bit more, but that's because we provide like learning materials and stuff for the kids to do and things like that. Okay. So, I mean, more than likely, probably a profitable business. We don't have to get into, like, I don't expect you to go into all the financials and stuff like that right now. But I assume that you're also a paid customer for Bit itself. Yes. So, like, when I look at the, the features, I imagine like the collaboration thing probably makes a lot of sense if you're going to have a team and people sort of doing bits. But there's things that I've always been curious about Bit uh, when I first looked at it, the, the idea of private collections. Yeah. Are you actually, are you leveraging private collections today? Currently, we have, I think, like 50 or 60 private collections. Okay, so what's the purpose of having private UI components? So they're all the secret source of our app, essentially, on okay. the front end. Yeah, so we originally just had a school app. So like, I'll tell you the story. We had a school app, and we're like, we're starting to move into homes, and me and my uh, one of the other engineers that works really closely with me, Ryan Forte, we were just examining a lot of the logic that was going to be shared between the apps, a lot of the UI, even though the color schemes were different and the theme was different, we were like, we'd just be repeating ourselves and we were just looking for ways to share components. And everything just seemed like such a hassle. Like it was going to cost us more time to share components and just rebuild the whole app. Yeah. And then we found Bit by accident. And we were like, well, we want to put stuff in Bit, but we don't want the rest of the world to have our code, you know? So, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like our secret source. So we started creating private collections. So first we created a collection for like just general components. So like buttons, dropdowns, inputs, because they're all specially styled to our themes. And then we started creating collections for pages. So let's say we've got like a section of our app called Measure where we collect your utility bills. So we started creating components just for measure and we would share the UI between the apps because like when you collect an electricity bill, it's the same no matter where you are, right? So we created the UI for that, whack it in bit, and then it's in all of our apps. So that was phase one. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a little crazy when you first start doing it because it's very counterintuitive to like maybe normal ways of developing. Yeah, it, it is. And like the way I approach it today is I'm using style components pretty heavily. Yeah. So like the context of Bit and having your UI come through components on like a third-party service, like in my mind, it actually looks pretty similar because I have though my style components are written all in like a styles file folder. I think it's actually it wouldn't be too hard to actually ship that to Bit. And I'm curious, like, what is Bit looking for? Are they are you just sending them React components, or is it? Yeah, so we're a full-fledged React house at Climate Clever. You know, not that it's the best framework in the world. It has its pros and cons. Yeah. Um, but it, it suits us just fine. And yeah, so to start off with, we were just shipping UI components, you know, just that's it. Although we've gone a little further down the rabbit hole now and everything is in bit, not just UI, which is a little crazy. That that sounds insane. But I guess if you're just sitting React components, if they're I guess quote unquote functional or reusable components, then you just sort of plug and play at that point. Yeah. So we decided, like, we were sitting down, we're like, oh, the UI sharing is going great. And we were like, but some of this logic that we share, like, we should share as well, like, you know, fetching bills from the server, you know, maybe there's a few parameters that are different. So we were like, well, what if we just had, like, this sort of global configuration and theme file in each project? And then we just convert all our networking, databasing, App logic into hooks, hmm. 
and whack the hooks in bit. Okay. Yeah. So, so we just, we put all the hooks in bit, which was a, a task in itself. Like half of the platform was using hooks. Uh, the other half was using React class components. But we just, we just went nuts. We went full hooks. Everything became hooks. Yeah. But this changed the way we componentized our UI components. Cause originally we'd like import the components and they'd all have like an index file that would initiate them and pass logic in. But now we didn't need to do that. We could just have like this component that displays your bills has hook components that are in it as well as dependencies. So we started doing that. And then all of a sudden, you know, like we'll build this new page that like verifies your email, right? Add it to bit. And then two minutes later, we'll just go to the home app or our social service version of our app and, you know, go NPM install, verify climate clever email page. And all of a sudden we've got a page in there that just verifies your email. And it took us two seconds. You know, we don't have to write any logic. We didn't have to integrate it. It's because all the logic's in there now too. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that, that approach too as well, because I think, I'm sure your development speed, once you, I mean, there might be some investment in getting all this stuff up in bit. Yeah, definitely. But I think once you get to that point where everything's there, and you're you're basically in maintenance mode, or maybe you do like a refresh, an update. Yeah. Like then that might be a little more of a heavy lift, but to be able just to pull stuff down that's already existing sounds lovely. So actually, I was building a mobile client for one of the projects I was working on. Actually, one of the companies I was working at, and I needed to recreate that sort of like mobile view, but in an iOS app. But there was no cross contamination. There was nothing I could use to like repeat that experience and like. Mind you, I was building in a React Native. So like it was already the app itself was in React. I wanted to build a React Native app. I knew how to do the JavaScript and CSS, but there was a lot of copy and pasting happening. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of like, uh, I don't know if this is actually gonna work in this sort of this element. For the most part, it did, but it was a lot of figuring out and uh, making sure that all the mobile responsive stuff translated to React Native well on the phone. Yeah. But it would have been much nicer if I could just say like NPM install that stuff. Because like we're talking literally JavaScript and JavaScript, there's no reason like I couldn't just do the same thing over. But um, it's intriguing, and it makes me very intrigued to really get my hands dirty with this thing. I think everyone should, because for us, it's just more than UI. So we use React Native for our mobile apps. So some of our views we share uh, between the web and the mobile, but some of them have to be you know rebuilt in React Native because they're very different. But because all our logic is in bit like we can just be like right okay well we'll just drop this hook in there that gives you all the bills for the the screen or gives you all the actions and i don't have to worry about redux or networking or anything like that because that's all taking care of that hook so like and it makes it really easy to onboard new developers because you can be like right guys here build this new component and when you want to add bills or you want to add some data to you just need to implement this hook you don't need to do anything else you know, and like all our hooks, you know, they return uh, the you know the objects and then a refresh function for automatically refreshing them too. So, yeah, it makes onboarding a dream. Yeah. So I just spent some time building a hook for not stashing a, a, the the web the token for a login, but uh, it's a it's a Jamstack app. It's just front end only. Yeah. I happen to be talking to third party API, so I don't have a server to leverage like passing tokens back and forth. I'm actually getting the token from the API yeah. and then leveraging there. So I had to figure out what to do with this thing. So I built a hook and built it three different times because I'm like, I know this is right. Like It's not too hard to build a hook at this point once you've done it a few times. 
But uh, if I could be able to be like, ah, you know what, this looks very familiar. Let me just pull it from the component library that I've already I've already solved. Yeah. Because instead, like. I think as engineers, I think we figured out that like we're basically building the same features over and over again all the time. Yeah, my first engineering problem, junior engineer, worked at a some marketing firm, and I had to build a Twitter client to send photos because Twitter sending photos in Twitter, a lot of people take for granted. Like you could not do that; it used to just be text. So the API opened up; you could add photos. Okay, Brian, f- first day of the job, where we had this feature to add photos to our Twitter yep. uh, tweets on the platform. Okay. One month later, I did it, and then I go down the road. Instagram adds videos. Like literally two months later, I'm like, "Oh, this looks very familiar." Okay, Brian, you you've got experience. Go ahead and do it again. So I built the same thing again, but with Instagram. <laughs> and then like there was just, like the because it was a social media uh, marketing platform. So like literally the circle the all the social media sites back in like 2013, and uh, I just implemented all of them. And I was like, "Oh yeah, this looks." Once you figure out where the bells and whistles are, everything sort of looks exactly the same. And my first year was just like work with these third-party social media APIs, build features around those on our platform, and then go home, and then come back tomorrow and do the same thing. Yeah. And uh, I think as engineers, like we we realize we're doing the same thing over and over again. That's why Stack Overflow has made us senior developers, (laughs) is because we can legitimately copy and paste. So like I'm looking at Bit with all these like fancy animation stuff that's already solved for me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh wow. I'm gonna look like a whiz tomorrow when I started adding a bunch of, you know, spinning donuts and stuff like that on my my homepage because I can do it. Yeah, that's it. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. But I think it's the other part of it as well is it allows you to focus on building a great product. You know, like yeah, I, I feel like coding is like you know composing music, right? So you're just picking the right notes and putting them together to make a good piece. But why do I have to rebuild the note every time? You know, I know what a note is. This should be a place where I can just pull it from. No, that's that's how I think about it. That's a a good analogy too, as well. Like uh, like I play a bit of music myself, so like knowing that there's like the with the Nashville number system or just like the 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 pop music scales. Yeah. Um, like you play the same the same progression over and over again, and like you have a pop song. I think what we're as React developers, maybe or even like front end developers, like we're just creating pop songs. And if you want to create something fancy and super indie, like that's for you. But if you just want to get paid and go home and play video games, like maybe, maybe pull the pop songs off a bit. Yeah. So maybe I, I hammered that analogy too hard into the wrong place, but hopefully the the bit developers and the maintainers uh, are appreciative of my explanation. But I, I think that's a good explanation, and you know, and I, I don't think you need to worry about annoying them. I spent all of last year just logging bugs on GitHub. Oh, nice. Yeah, because we were exporting like hundreds of components at one time, and. And it just couldn't handle it. It kept crashing. But you know, they were really great. They were responsive. They fixed those issues. You know, they did hunt me down and murder me for logging too many bugs. That is excellent. Yeah, I'm looking at the the loading spinners, and uh, they're they're fascinating. And uh, something that I could probably spend some time, maybe a couple days in, like making SVGs animate. But why? When this is already a solved problem for me. Yeah. And like it really hit me too, as well as you were explaining it. It gives us room to solve harder problems, which like. Day by day, like I am solving problems that I've never solved before. But when I spend way more time trying to, like, again, make the radius either seven or six pixels and then get code review to actually take up that time, it would be perfect just to go ahead and solve the problem and just install that, put it over there. Yeah. And that's what it does. I mean, like, for example, you know, uh, we migrated a networking library to improve caching and a few other bits and pieces. So, 
you know, we upgraded the framework we were using, we added some more logic in, and then we just updated our API hooks in bit. And then every other hook or component that was, you know, dependent on those API calls got all the fresh, fresh networking with the better caching and better speed and response instantly. It was just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this truly is fantastic. And I think we sort of rounded the bases on the, the product that I've been exposed to. I don't know if there's anything else we should we should chat and talk through that maybe we missed. I know, I don't know. I feel like we've kind of really winded up because that's it. It's just it's just a different way of developing. And I think it takes a while to get your head around. But it's like, why are we focusing on building a big monolithic front end anymore? You know, like it's just make sure your part that you're building works better and and it's better for because we just brought on two new junior developers you know and like you know day two they're already coding you know they're building because they can work in isolation on stuff without crashing the whole system they can understand you know just understand one thing at a time and that's really powerful because it, it also empowers them right like it, it empowers you know it's it's that sort of that barrier to entry becomes lower and I think that's really important for the coding community to get more people involved you know, that's why I always like create React app. You know, you, you don't have to know anything. You just type in this command and you've got a React app you can just start playing with, right? You yeah. don't need to know about configs or setup or Webpack, you know, and, and it's the same thing. It's like you don't need to know about our entire project to Climate Clever. You just need to know that you need to make this form for putting your email in the best form in the entire world. Yeah, and I think the adoption curve on, on React in general I think really started skyrocketing around Create React app because they took away the need to know Webpack and the need to know all these other like even service workers like because you have a service worker running by default maybe that's actually maybe that was a mistake maybe it's actually a great thing who knows but you didn't have to know a lot about it you just knew that it existed and then when you had to solve the problem of like hey why is my site not clearing the cache and I keep seeing old stuff oh it's a service worker okay yeah. or maybe you didn't know but you googled it and discovered it in Stack Overflow. But anyway, not to hark on my personal problems in discovering React on my own. But uh, like being able to remove that barrier of entry, I think it's it's the unintentional gatekeeping. It's just like something I've been thinking about a lot. Like if I don't know about network caching or know about surface workers or how to invalidate caches, then I'm sort of like opted out of being able to advance my development career because then I have to spend more cycles or take time away from senior devs to yeah. understand this problem that maybe. Everybody's assumed that it's it's a solved problem, but if we have things like Bit, where day one you can come in and be like, "Hey, look at this page. Here's all the visual elements that we have. Build this feature using these elements. Here's maybe a design mock, and go and have at it." And it's no longer like, ah, "I don't know if I can make this box like the right." I don't know why I keep harping on the the radius of boxes and buttons, but. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes making things the right purple uh, or making the right radius—it's it's, yeah. it's a half a day worth of work. Yeah, it is. But now it doesn't have to be because it's already done. Just one line of code, and that's it. It's everywhere. Yeah, excellent. Well, with that being said, I'm going to wind this down into picks. Uh, these will be jam picks, or these could be jam bits. Who knows? If you have any cool bits that you want to <laughs> share with us, but yeah, these. Historically, have been like music, food, anything that sort of keeps us going. I know recently, isolation and sheltering in place, like we've been doing a lot of new hobbies and tips and tricks. And um, I don't have a ton, but if you don't mind, I'll go first and I'll explain my pick. I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, I've been doing some live streaming on Twitch, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah, I've had a couple episodes about uh, my sort of foray into it and finally getting consistent. 
but I just recently shipped a, a new little side project, which is called Baybot. So I did a conference talk and alluded to this previously. If people follow me on the internet, but anyway, so it's called Baybot, and it's a Twitch bot to basically interact with your your listeners, uh, or watchers, or viewers on Twitch. Twitch is really cool about community, where you engage the community. It's not really just about webinars or you doing your own thing, but you engage in the community and having like that sort of camaraderie around something. Like maybe it's Rocket League, or maybe it's like you know. Elder Scrolls or whatever it is, the Fortnite season, whatever. I'm not sure what they're on. But anyway, I created this bot because I watched a lot of Twitch streamers and a lot of them like use Streamlabs or Stream Elements or something off the shelf, like a bit, but for your bot. But they're super limited. And I wanted to build my own because I wanted to do something very specific that I've seen other people do, but no one really talks about, which is kind of weird. Like people figure it out. But they don't put their code on GitHub because it's Twitch. So, like, not everybody actually wants to, sh- like, they don't care to share. So, I had to figure it out myself. Sure. And uh, I ended up doing that. And now I have like a template basically, which is Baybot. So, if anybody wants to have a Twitch bot, like, you can go to mutual fund slash Baybot. It'll be linked in the show notes as well. But you can just literally just, it's a GitHub page. And the way it works is that OBS takes browser sources. So, if you have like a GitHub.io URL, you can actually link that directly to, your Twitch, uh, so your OBS, and then interact with the chat through simple commands. Uh, open source code, you can look at it. It's all just simple HTML and JavaScript as well. And then for my second pick, I'm just going to mention the reason I found the actual chatbot is because of one Twitch streamer, which is InstaFluff. Uh, InstaFluff is the creator of this chatbot called ComfyJS, and he's got this whole brand. I don't know, you just have to watch InstaFluff. Uh, great guy, great streamer. And he's done a great job of sort of solving the problem that I've had where I don't know how people do things unless they open source it. And he open sourced all of his his bot frameworks and stuff like that. So definitely check out InstaFluff on GitHub and on Twitch and check out the Baybot. You know, I'd, I'd love to see competitive coding on Twitch. That would be like, you know, like teams coding against each other to try and build a product that gets like user feedback, you know, and stuff that... I feel like that would be interesting. You know, I, I might take you up on that that thing. Uh, so our education team has been doing some Twitch streaming because they've gone fully remote as well. And like, I think the way university is going to happen next fall in August, there's going to be a new school year, and it's probably going to be remote yeah. or mostly not in person. So they've been doing a lot of things of like engaging their students, um, developers, and doing hackathons. That's pretty cool. But I mean. Kids love esports these days. Like if everybody gets together and like tries to solve some tests or like algorithms or whatever it is, like that would be super interesting. Actually, I know exactly what would be a good idea, which is Battlesnake. Uh, it's actually a hackathon that happens once a year, which should have happened uh, a few months ago. I don't think it actually happened. And if you remember the Nokia phone games, yes, Snake. Yeah, yeah. So basically, they they recreated that game in JavaScript. Or maybe it was Python. I'm not sure which one it was, but basically, right. you have to build that game uh, using code. And then what what they do is they call it Battle Snake. So then mm-hmm. they put all the snakes on the one screen. And if your snake, you, you set the algorithm for your snake to battle the snake, and like you lose part of your snakes. Anyway, you should check it out. Yeah, maybe that will be a third pick to you as well, since we've been that sounds awesome. Sort of rolling into and waiting for the internet to come back up. But uh, yeah, so that sort of summarizes my pick. So do you want to share what your picks? Yeah. I mean, I'm not really in quarantine anymore in Australia. So, but while I was, you know, I got into pie making, 
you know, like uh, raspberry pies, blueberry pies, <laughs> apple and blueberries. You led with raspberry pie, and I'm like, oh, is it food pie, fruit pie, or is it actual code? <laughs> yes to both. <laughs> no, no, it's fruit. It's yes to both. It's uh, yeah. So that was good. But like, my top pick at the moment has to be um, so Stripe have this blog called Increment. Okay, that's just amazing, and they release new issues quarterly. But you can also get it in book form, so you can like subscribe and get a book of all these really good blog posts, you know, posted out to you four times a year. And it's got blogs from people from like Facebook, Google, Airbnb, MailChimp, from smaller startups, uh, IBM, like just talking about loads of different subjects. It's a really great read. Their current two ones are on software architecture and front-end development. And they're just fantastic. It's great to just have a coffee and read through the book, you know, and actually have something physical in your hand. Well, I've not heard of that. I'm actually kind of surprised I've not heard about that one. This may seem a little sort of out there or bold as a statement, but I think it's the best tech blog around, and especially since you can get it in book form too. Yeah. And then my second pick would probably be Chromatic. So I'm always looking for ways to integrate like the development side of the business with the you know the rest of the business. And Chromatic's like a really good way for you to share all your storybooks from your projects and let everybody else in the business just comment on them, you know, and give you feedback, you know, without letting them into your dev systems and stuff like that. That's definitely, those two are my sort of big picks at the moment. Awesome. I've also never heard of this one as well, uh, which I'm super impressed. Oh, I feel like I'm contributing in a good way then. That's great. Yeah, yeah. You're you're expanding my horizons. And who would have thought I had to... Had to go to the future to Australia to to learn about some of these really cool things. I think when you're a startup, you know, like we're not a startup like you know Google with billions of dollars. You've always got a small team, so you're looking for ways to iterate as fast as you possibly can and do as much as possible with as little as possible. And the only way to do that is to constantly read and find the best tools. Like that's just literally it. Yeah, learn from others, and like what a, a a great statement to end on too, as well. Like summarizing this entire conversation and uh, all these tools through Bit, but also learning about Increment and Chromatic. Like I am now going to fill up my uh, my Monday morning reads uh, with some of this stuff as well. So it's great. Yeah, Alexander, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, talking about Bit, talking about the Jam Stack, and listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 